I hope you guys are, are glad to be here this morning. I want to tell you about a story that happened to me in, in 2005. In 2005, I decided I am going to get in shape and I'm going to start running. And man, I'm telling you, I dedicated myself to running and getting in shape. And a couple of friends of mine said, hey, let's run in our first 5K race. Never run in a race before in my life since school days when you had track or field day or something like that, right? And so all of a sudden we, we get ready. And so we sign up online. It's October, it's 2005. It's on Fayetteville Street in downtown Raleigh. And so I get there and I start like scanning. I've never been to a race before. You got your little bib number on. And I start looking at these guys with these like short shorts. And you guys know what I'm talking about. John Stockton style. Okay. Okay. And I dated myself there. So yeah, he's got the short shorts. They got the running mesh tops on and they're like, you know, doing the little exercises, trying to warm up. And I, I've never been to a race before. And all of a sudden the competitive juices known to all of us men just started flowing. Like, man, I, I'm going to win this thing. Like, I'm not even going to win my, I am not even going to win my age bracket. I'm winning the entire race. And so I noticed that these guys with these shorts and mesh shirts on and watches and nice shoes and all that stuff were like up at the start of the line like this. I was like, what are they doing? And they're like trying to get their time. They're trying to set the watch ready to go so they can get their personal best. And, and I, it just came, it like overcame me. And so I nestled my way in between them and I'm like on the front line and I'm like, okay, I, I can do this. I gotcha. And I'm nestled down here. No, I don't have watch on, but I was like ready to go. And then I'm telling you the truth. The whistle sounded. It was go time. And I was blazing a trail. I was like, I really am going to win this thing. I'm like on track to win my first 5K race downtown Raleigh. They're going to print the results with about 150 yards. I thought, Jesus, take me home. I'm dying. My lungs were burning. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, your pride is taking you there too. My lungs were burning so that I was like, gosh, I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't even think I'm going to finish first. I'm not even going to, I'll probably be last. And about that time, I heard this clicking sound, this click. I was like, what in the world? What noise is that? And I look to my right, look over my right shoulder, and there is this stroller. <laughs> and it's got this kid in it with sucking on a pasty. And he did the E-Trade commercial and said, is that all you got? No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. Okay. He didn't do that. <laughs> But what he did do was he just sort of like the, the kid just went around, the guys, this little kid just sitting in the passing. I'm dying. I'm like running with my head forward. I'm not terrible form. Cause I'm like, just let me finish or Jesus take me to home. And about that time I finally finished and I like couldn't move that day, the rest of the day. But you know what, I, what, what I'm trying to say is, you know that your pride takes you to a level that is painful. Your pride and my pride takes us to a place where we do not enjoy the abundant life that God has promised us. And in our last parable of this series titled Stories Jesus Told, we get to take a look at a short little section, a short parable in here where Jesus is rebuking the people about looking at themselves better than other people. And I want you to take a look in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse seven. As you're flipping there, I've got a couple of verses I wanna to read to sort of help paint the picture of pride and what pride does to us. Um, in, in Proverbs 16, 18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Galatians 6, three says, for if anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. And there was a quote 
by C.S. Lewis, it said this, make no mistake about it, pride is the great sin. It is the devil's most effective and destructive tool. And again, I remind you this morning that God has promised you and promised me a life and life to the full or abundant life, as it said in John 10, 10. And one of the things that gets in the way of us grabbing a hold of that is ourselves and our pride and our desire to be rewarded by man and not be forgiven by God. And here's what we see in the text this morning to before we get to read it and look at it, I want to paint sort of a picture. Jesus was invited to a wedding. He had just healed someone and, um, in Luke chapter 14, 1 through 6. When we come up to verse 7 where he's invited to a wedding, some say it was a banquet. All we know is that it was a, a, a feast. It was an opportunity to come and eat. And so the way the room was set up was like a horseshoe. So this was the center and the honored guest would sit in this center place. There would be a place to sit on his right and a place to sit on his left. And then there would be people that would sit along the outside. And here's the way it would happen. Sometimes the host would assign you where you seat, where you're, where you're seated. And a lot of times they would not assign you. And if they did not assign you on where to, where to sit, then you could jockey up to the front of the line and when the doors are open, you could run to the seat that was most prominent, which is to the right of the honored guest or to the left of the honored guest. And the seats got, you got less important by the further away that you were sitting. And, and so here's the, 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 here's the way it works is the, the host did not assign the seats in this story, in this parable. And so you can picture the people lining up against the doors, trying to get in, opening it up and running to the seat of most prominence. Because if you were at the seat next to the right or the left of the honored guest, then you would be able to sit there with that person, with the honored guest for three or four or maybe even five hours, rub shoulders with them, tell them maybe how important you are. But not only that, you would be seen as important to the other people that are there. Jesus has a word for those who think this way and thus that's the reason for the story. So let's take a look at the story, looking at Luke 14, seven through 11. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at, sit at the table with you. Verse 11, he summarizes, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I believe our text this morning, you and I have got two lessons that we can learn about Jesus. Because ultimately every parable that we learn is really about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible has one story and it's about Jesus. And that's why we teach the Bible. 
That's why we want to know what the Bible says. Jesus predicted his death, told us when he was going to come back. We want to follow him. And so the parable, each parable, is really some great truths and great lessons that we can learn about Jesus so that we can grab a hold of that abundant life that he wants us to have and not allow our pride to prevent us from seeing all that God wants us to see and be all who God wants us to be. And so if we take a look at the first thing that we see is in verse 7, 8, and basically seven through 10. Jesus cares, listen, about what we think and what we do. Jesus cares about what we think and what we do. Let's take a look at verse seven. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. Listen, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So here's what we know right now about this situation. There were no assigned seats in this feast in this wedding banquet or rehearsal. There were no assigned seats. And so what they were doing is Jesus noticed what they were doing. They, he noticed that they were trying to jockey for position. They noticed that they were trying to run to a beeline to sit to the right or sit to the left. That's what they were trying to do. So Jesus knew what they were thinking. And because he knew what they were thinking, he knew what they were going to do. And because he knew what they were thinking and knew what they were going to do, he needed to rebuke their thinking and their doing because they did not connect. Here's what he says in verse eight. When you're invited to a feast, do not. Now, most Bibles has this written in red. Number one, if it's written in red, it's really important. Number two, if it's written in red and it says the words do not, then we should not do what it's saying because it's written by Jesus and that's important. So basically what he's saying is, I see what you're thinking because I can see it by your actions. So let's go on to verse eight. When you are... The second part of verse eight, in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to the person and then you will begin with shame to take to the lowest place. I will tell you this right now, in the third grade, I went to Chango Elementary School. Mrs. Stoddard did not like how I would not stop talking. In the third grade, we had to sit at tables, not individual desks. And when I was in the third grade, I had moved from, from Pennsylvania to New York. And one day in class, after Mrs. Stoddard told me not to, told me to stop talking, she walked over to my desk, grabbed my right ear, picked me up by my right ear, brought me all the way to her desk and said, from now on, you will be sitting here. So here's her desk and here's my desk, all by myself on an island, all by myself. She shamed me in front of my whole class and I'm still not over it. <laughs> here, here's what's going on in the text right here, is that what happens if, is if you run and jockey for your position, then there's quite likely what would happen is the host would come in, look at how the seats are arranged, and say, you need to sit over here, and he would move you to your shame in front of everybody. And so here's what Jesus is trying to do. Here's what, I know your thoughts. I know what you're thinking. This is what you're thinking because here's what you're doing. Now here's what I want you to do. Look at verse 10. And we, they sang the song for us in the first hour. We have a conjunction. So conjunction, junction, what's your? Oh, you are good. You are good. So verse 10 says this. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. 
You see, what Jesus is addressing here is their thinking. In order, to, in order to have the abundant life that God wants us to have, we have to stop thinking the way that we are thinking and doing the things that we are doing. Really what we need is a brand new reminder of who Jesus is, a greater picture, a greater reminder of what Jesus came to do, what Jesus came to promise, what Jesus came and ushered. And he, he looked at us and said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We must stop thinking the way that we are thinking and we'll stop doing the things that we are doing. And here's what he's looking at is, I need to change your actions. In order to change your action, I'm gonna have to address the way that you think about me, about your purpose, about your way of life. And if I do that, then you will do this. I know that many of you have kids and yours are all perfect and I'm not perfect and therefore don't have perfect kids. I love my kids, I have four of them. And when you have four kids, you have four pairs of rollerblades. You have four scooters and four bikes. And then you get donated, oh, you need another bike because they're ruined, so you get more bikes and more stuff. And all of a sudden your garage looks like a war zone, right? And so in effort to try to have my garage um, just organized, sort of organized chaos, have you, um, I always tell the kids, keep the rollerblades in the bin. There's a bin this high. I just want you to put rollerblades in there. So if you wear them and you take them off, then just put them in that bin. And I always go in the garage and I'm stepping over rollerblades. And I look at him and I say, guys, I need you to put the rollerblades in the bin. And I say it just as sweet as that right there, okay? And I say, yeah, and I say put the rollerblades in the bin. And this is what they say to me. You know what they say to me? I know, I know. And I say to them, if you know, then do. And see what we're trying to do right here? He's sitting here going like this. I want you not only to think or know what is right, I want you to do what is right. And he's changing the way that they think so that it will change the way that they respond and they react. That's what he's doing. So Jesus cares about the way we think and the way that we, the, the way that we act. Let's, let's keep on. What's the, what's the second thing that we see? The second point that I want you to see in here is really, it just really overwhelmed me as I was looking at this text um, this week. Jesus is gracious in giving us a warning of a prideful life. So he explains a situation. You are running to the front of the line. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get to a place of importance. You wanna sit next to the honored guest. You wanna tell them how good you are because that's what pride does to us. Pride says you are God. Pride says, come and live life with your hands open for people to just fill it up. As opposed to God wants us to come with our hearts open and our hands ready to serve. And, and pride basically robs us of that, that eternal life, that, excuse me, that, that life that God wants to have, that abundant life that he wants us to grab a hold of, to have, to enjoy, and to experience. And, and so we take a look in verse 11 and he sort of summarizes this up. I have a friend named Clarence Edwards. I've used this, told you this before, but Clarence would tell you this, he would tell you a story. And the other day we went to the farm and he would finish his story. And then he would say, in other words, the other day we went to the farm. What I'm saying is he would say something and then he would say it all over again. And that's really what's going on in this text right here. Jesus is saying something. Here's what you know. Here's what you do. Then he summarizes it. I'm going to tell you what I just told you in verse 11. I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to summarize it. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. A prideful life is not life at all. It leads to destruction, to despair, to heartache, and to jealousy. And most important, it leads us to irrelevance in the kingdom of God. Proverbs 28, 13 is another great warning to those believers who are following after Jesus with everything. It says this, um, for he who covers his sin, God will uncover. He gives a great warning to you and me right now. If there is sin in your life right now that you're covering up, God, because he is gracious, because he is loving, will reveal it if you don't reveal it. Then he says this, here's a great, here's a great gracious act of God. But he who uncovers his sin, confesses his sin, God will cover. And here's what he's saying right now. Listen, I want you to know something about this. I am a gracious and loving God, but I'm telling you right now, if you exalt yourself, I'm going to humble you because I can and I will and I I should. Because your joy is at stake and my glory is at stake. But if you humble yourselves, at the end when it's all over and all said and done, I will exalt you. I will hold you up. A couple of years ago, uh, we, we got news that we were going to have our fourth kid, our fourth child in four years. And I, yeah, I sighed just like you just did. And I went, wow, um, praise God. I mean, yeah, okay. So it took me a while to just digest all of what was going on. I can't have kids for four years. Now we have four kids in four months. Four, <laughs> four kids. <laughs> hey, hallelujah. I mean, <laughs> how did that happen? Four kids in four years, four months, okay? And so here, here we are. So I was like, you know, just before number four comes, we need to go on a, on a, a vacation. And so in 2007, I, uh, I called the Paula Dean show. The cook, Paula Dean, just a lot of butter. She used to, you know. And so I called the Paula Dean show. It was in Savannah, Georgia. And I said, my wife loves to be, my wife loves to cook with our kids. And she um, just loves the show and loves, you know, reading our books and trying recipes that they do and she's cooking with the kids. So I wrote an email, sent a picture of our family of Dana cooking with the kids. And about two months later, I get a call from their production company saying, you have been, we have asked you, we'd like to ask you and invite you to be on our hour long episode called Paula's Party. Partying through the decades. And so we decided, hey, we're going. So we went to, we went to Savannah, we went to Savannah, Georgia in late 2007. And we got up there to early morning to the set of where the show was being filmed. And so we got there and we noticed that people were just sort of anxious. And one guy had like driven 10 hours, didn't sleep. And this guy had a long sleeve button down blue striped shirt on with an Argyle sweater vest. Yeah. Okay. And so he had these like blue pants on. And I mean, he was, he was styling and profiling in his own mind and uh, he was ready. And he was like nestling his way to the front of the line. And Dana said, okay, Argyle guy over there. Um, he wants to get into the front. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna open the, the doors are gonna open and we're going to the back right corner and we're just gonna go and sit in the back. It's a smaller set. We'll be able to see everything. It'll be fine. I'm like, hey, it's your vacation. That's fine. We're gonna go to the back row. That's what we're gonna do. The doors open. Argyle guy, beeline, front line, front and center, sitting right in front of the table to cook all the food. All right, he's sitting right there. Dana and I sort of slid into the back. We got into the back. We sat down in the back of the studio, had great seats, we're talking. About that time, lady came on, she had a headset on, she looked really important. She was like, Argyle guy, Argyle guy to the back. 
And literally, I kid you not, they went over to Argyle Sweater Man and they picked him up, okay? And they said, you come with us and put him in the very last row, okay? And they picked Dana and I up and they moved us to the front row, put us right on the front row. And I'm telling you the truth, we got to see everything. I mean, we were right there in the middle. Now, if you will, shameless plug, there is, you can see that episode online if you Google that. And Dana <laughs> is in that episode like eight times. You see Dana like all the time on the front row. Here's, here's what, what took place. We, we went from sitting in the back and then we got moved to the front. And what, what did you like about being in the front? Well, I, I got to see everything happen. We were right there in front of everything. But here's what I loved about being in the front row is that it was given to me. We serve an unbelievable God who desires in his beautiful sovereignty to invite you because of what he did on the cross to invite you to come and sit at the front row and have a front row seat to his glory. That's what he wants for you and that's what he wants for me and that's what he wants for Northwest Community Church. The issue at hand is that when we think we are better than we are, and when we, put, we, we step over people to get what we want. Listen, folks, let's not be a church that comes with our hands open saying, feed me, serve me. Let's come with our hearts open in humility, ready to sit on the front row by which it has been given to us. Let's be that people. Let's pray.